0: Take your Bibles and turn to 2 Timothy chapter 4. Today is the last time I'll say that. We've reached the end of another journey. It's always bittersweet. Love these books. Enjoy all that we can get out of them. It's fun to go to another one. And it's good to end the last one. For the past several months, we've worked through Paul's final letter here in 2 Timothy. We chose to work through this letter because it presents for us the measurement of a faithful ministry. As Paul faced the end of his time on earth, as he looked back and took stock of his own ministry, as he counseled Timothy towards what he should be encouraged with, he spoke to Timothy about certain things and to us about the most important the things the church and pastor must do in ministry. And with everything he could have covered as he looked back over his ministry, and as he counseled Timothy in the church, it is vital and interesting to note what he's chose to state there at the end of his life. And we could summarize what Paul stated with one phrase. I think the phrase is this a faithful ministry requires total commitment to the word of God. A faithful ministry requires total commitment to the word of God. As we finish the series today, I'd like to do so by looking at the final two verses in the letter and then have a quick review of the themes that we found in the letter. And from these two steps, we'll see two very important lessons regarding the measurement of a faithful ministry first let's look at the last two verses of second timothy and from these two verses we see the examples of faithful ministry and reminded that god uses ordinary people to accomplish his work let's read these two verses verses 19 and we'll read through 21 the the last four greet priscilla and aquila and the household of onesiphorus Erastus remained at Corinth, and I left Trophimus, who was ill at Miletus. Do your best to come before winter. Eubulus sends greeting to you, as do Pudens and Linus and Claudia and the other brothers. The Lord be with your spirit. Grace be with you. We can divide this large number of names that Paul gives in these verses, here into two groups the first group of names that paul gives us here are paul's companions priscilla aquila onesiphorus erastus and trophimus and paul tells timothy greet them give them a greeting but from this list of people we can note that god uses ordinary people to accomplish his ministry he begins with priscilla and aquila aquila and priscilla have lived in rome Uh, But they had been expelled by Claudius, the emperor, as the gospel had spread. And as as Jews came to Christ, this led to conflict with other Jews who saw that as a desertion of worshiping the one true God. And as the gospel traveled and found its way to Rome, this conflict captured the attention of the Caesar Claudius. Apparently, the conflict between the Jews and the Christians became quite severe. And Claudius, being the Roman emperor, wanted no problems in the capital city. And the way that the Romans dealt with problems, they kept the Pax Romana, the Roman peace, not the way that we think of keeping peace. They kept it more in the way that dictatorial regimes keep peace. Everybody gets in line, and now everybody's peaceful. If someone gets out of line, well, we get them back into line. And then it's peaceful again. That's how they maintained the Roman peace. Well, when the Jews and the Christians began to have conflict with one another, Claudius recognized, I cannot have this in my capital city. We need to keep the peace. And so he decided, here's how we're going to get to get the peace. Everyone leave. Jews, Christians, you're out. And so he expelled all of them. And as a result, Aquila and Priscilla had to leave their home in Rome. And they eventually settled in Corinth. And there in Corinth, they met Paul. We find this in Acts chapter 18. It says, as Paul came there, he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. And he went to see them. And as you continue on there in chapter 18, you discover that they were tent makers. And so Paul instantly struck up a close friendship with them and discipled them as a tent maker himself. And you can imagine as they would sit around making these tents together, really in business together, discussing the word of God and growing in Christ. Well, when Paul left Corinth, they remained there with their business and, and uh, eventually they came across a gifted young man, passionate young man named Apollos. He'd come to Christ. He was passionately preaching, but he was theologically weak. And as a result, Aquila and Priscilla took Apollos under their wing and began to disciple him in the way that Paul had discipled them. And Apollos became a fantastic preacher in the early church and planted churches around the empire. Eventually, Aquila and Priscilla were allowed to return to Rome And they did so, and they actually hosted the church in their home. And as Paul was anticipating a visit to Rome, he asked the church there to greet them in Romans 16, verses 3 and 4. He says, greet Priscilla and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risked their necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well. Well, most likely then in response to a need in Ephesus, they eventually moved to Ephesus and assisted the church there. So Paul asked Timothy to greet them. Now here's the thing we want to note. Priscilla and Aquila were just ordinary Christians. They were tent makers. They weren't pastors. They weren't missionaries. They didn't go to Bible college or seminary. They worked a day job making tents. They were manufacturers. But they valued the church. They centered their life around the church and they ministered in every way they could. And as a result, they had an incredible, fantastic impact on the global church because of their love for God and their love for his people. They were not specially gifted. They were not amazing speakers. They were just people who said, I want to serve God. Where can I do it? The next person mentioned is the household of Onesiphorus. He was, Onesiphorus was another faithful companion who traveled with Paul. And most likely at this time, he's off in another city ministering for Paul. But he was from Ephesus and he left family there. Most likely parents or brothers and sisters. And and it's a reminder to parents not to hold on to their children. Too often I hear parents say they, they could never handle it if their kids moved away. I just can't have them. I've got to have them close to me. You know, instead, you ought to long for your children to follow God, even if that means serving him on the other side of the world. That ought to be your goal. Normal people allowing their children to serve God. Paul next mentions Erastus. Another faithful companion of Paul mentioned in uh, Acts 16. It says, having sent into Macedonia two of his helpers, Timothy and Erastus. It's also possible that this is the same Erastus mentioned in Romans 16:23 as the city treasurer of Corinth. And this would make sense since uh, Paul mentioned here that Erastus remained in Corinth. And implied here is that he remained to serve the church. Here is a, a politician the city treasurer serving the Lord. Another ordinary person. So I'm just simply an accountant. I'm not a speaker. So was Erastus. And yet he was willing to serve the Lord. It says that Trophimus, Paul left in Miletus because he was ill. As Paul traveled on his final journey before his arrest, he traveled through Miletus and there his companion became sick. And so Paul had to leave him there. And this man was willing to risk his health for the cause of Christ. The point of this section is that God uses people to do his work. Every day, normal people. God wants to use you. To do his work. God wants to use you to accomplish his mission. Are you willing to make the sacrifices necessary to be used by God? For honest, we have a lot of reasons why we don't. We're very busy. We live in a very busy society. We don't have the energy. We don't have the time. I'm too old or I'm too young. Never just write. I can't speak. I struggle in front of people. We find all kinds of reasons why we can't serve. But let me challenge you that you are missing out on the blessing of God. God wants to use you to accomplish his work. All it takes is a desire. All it takes is a commitment. All it takes is you saying, God. I'll do it. Say, it's out of my comfort zone. Probably. Probably is. But here's the amazing thing. God empowers you to do the work. Priscilla and Aquila were tent makers. Erastus was was an accountant. And God used them an amazing way. God wants to use you. Are you willing to do these things? You may think you don't have the abilities, but the thing to note about these people is that they were ordinary people as well. Don't let your life pass to where at the very end you look back and take stock of your life and say, I wish, I wish I would have done more. I wish I would have served God better. Instead, step out now. You have time for what you make time for. It's amazing. We always find time for the things we want to do. You can have the ability. God grants you the ability. You're not too old. We need you. You're not too young. We need you. Serve God as an ordinary person. The second group we see are the Roman leaders. He says in verse 21, Eubulus Sends greetings to you at his, as do Putin's and Linus and Claudia and all the brothers. Well, who are these people? Well, these men are most likely the leaders in the church in Rome. But what is so significant about this list is what Paul had just finished saying. What did he just finish saying? Remember what we talked about last week? At my first defense, no one stood with me. Everyone deserted me, but God was faithful. Remember, He is, He has given His life to the church. Paul has been stoned for the church. He's spent the equivalent of days floating in the Mediterranean Sea for the church. He has gone hungry and cold. He's lost his wealth for the church. Now he's in prison facing death for the church. And, and the truth is most of the churches in the area could trace their lineage to Paul. They are Christians because of him. And now at his most vulnerable points. Now, when he needs someone to be there for him, no one's there. He's by himself. And if it was me, I would become bitter and angry in that situation. Are you kidding me? Do you not know everything I have done for you? And this is what you do? Really? But not Paul. No, no. Paul forgave them for their mistake. Paul mentions them here. He re-enters a relationship with them. And evidently, they also realized their error, for they were again ministering to Paul. He could not have extended their greeting to Timothy if they were not there with him. And this relationship had been restored in spite of their failure. As we saw last week, Christians will let you down at times. But God can still work with you if you are the one in error. Just because you have a past, just because you've made mistakes, just because you've let others down, does not need to be the end of your story. was not the end of the story for the leaders in Rome. It was not the end of the story for Paul. It doesn't have to be the end of the story for you. God wants to use you in faithful ministry. He accomplishes this through normal, everyday people who sin, who make mistakes. You say, I, listen, I don't, I, I, I'm still growing. I see all these sins that I have in my life. You don't understand my past and the things I've gone through and Paul's saying your past doesn't have to define you. God wants you to move forward. God wants to use you. God wants committed people to be used by him. We have to be willing to, to, put, to, to put feet to what we say we believe. So I'm going to ask you. Will you be willing to serve your fellow believers In this church, it's a time where we are beginning to ask that of one another in preparation for some decisions coming up. Are you willing to take a risk? Are you willing to step out for Christ, to be an ordinary person used by God? Are you willing to serve others? As we look back over the book, we are reminded of these faithful ministers. That God uses normal people to accomplish this ministry because he uses a supernatural book to do the work. And so I want to take some time looking back over the book at the content of faithful ministry. As we minister, as we serve, as we examine the church, we must seek to make the word the center and the foundation of everything that we do. How was Paul able to move forward in spite of being deserted? Because he trusted the word. How was the early church effective? Because they ministered the word. As we look back over the book, we could spend a lot of time here when we spent months right working through the book. But I want to conclude our study by reminding us of four major aspects to the content of faithful ministry. So take your Bibles and turn all the way back to chapter one. Here we find the first thing I would like to highlight in the content of faithful ministry. And that is faithful ministry, a fidelity, a commitment to the word of God requires boldness to proclaim the word. Look at verses six and seven of chapter one. He says, certain persons by swerving from these, I'm in chapter, I'm in first Timothy, excuse me, second Timothy one, six and seven. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of hands for God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self control. Every Christian worker engaged in however small a task must remember that God never commissions anyone to a task he has for them without giving them the ability, the gifting, and the power to accomplish it. God grants the power to accomplish all he's called us to do. He says, I want you to do this. You say, I don't have the power to do it. He says, I'll give it to you. You can do it. And so we must fan into flames the gift that God has given us. We must willingly serve the church faithfully. The truth is, the last year and a half, through all that's happened with COVID, has given us an excuse to become complacent about our service in the church. We've fallen into habit of of not valuing it. We've we've fallen fallen into the trap to believe that it's okay if our service to the church just kind of falls off. But it's not the case. We need service now more than ever. It's it's time for everyone again to engage in this body, to step up and and serve their God by serving the church. And maybe you think I can't do it. You don't have the energy or you don't have the power or the ability. To this Paul responds. God has not given us a spirit of fear. But of love. And of power. And of self-control. See God has given us the spirit. Now we have to ask the question. As we asked when we first looked at that. Is this spirit. Pneuma. Referring to the little spirit. Our spirit. Or the capital S spirit. The Holy Spirit. And I think the answer is. Yes, yes, our, at our salvation, our spirit is joined with God's spirit as he indwells us so that God's spirit works in our spirit to accomplish his purposes. So God's spirit working in our spirit does not result in fear, cowardice or timidity or a lack of courage. God does not desire you to fear. John Piper, in his book, Desiring God, has a chapter entitled, Risk is Right. We ought to be willing to take risks for God. Because God does not desire you to fear. If a person fears Satan's persecuting power, or if a person fears for their physical health and well-being more than they trust God's ability and ever readiness to help, they've lost their view of God. That fearful spirit is not of God. The fearful spirit that says, I can't, is not of God. The gospel is never advanced by fearful people. Gospel change never occurs in fearful people people rather the spirit induces in us the the spirit of power the holy spirit produces power in the life of the believer a boldness and ability to accomplish what god has called us to do god calls you to do it and then he gives you the power to do it the the power of the holy spirit has enabled many timid quiet soft-hearted Even scared people to develop a boldness to fulfill difficult ministry. God's power is available to you. And God's ability is working in you. And for gospel advance and growth in this church, it has to begin with you. We like to look at other people. I think, you know, they should be doing this and then we'd grow. But the answer is you. You need the power. Each one of you must see to it that God's purposes are accomplished in your life and this church. And Paul is really stating that we're to act like Christians. And while human energy could never accomplish the work of God, God does not accomplish his purposes without it. He need he uses us. And God's given us the spirit of power. He's given us the abilities we need to serve him. God's granted you the power to do it. You just need to do it. No more excuses. You've got the strength. He's given us the spirit of power, but he's also given us the spirit of love. This is not an unrestrained power that just runs people over. It is a spirit of love as well. A self-sacrificial, others-minded, God-like love. And you can love others because God loves you. Why was Paul able to forgive those men in Rome? Because he loved them the way God loved them. He understood that that didn't have to be the end of their story. He understood that they struggled with sin just like he does. He understood that they're not perfect just as he's not perfect, but they have the same spirit in them. And he loved them the way that God loved them. And when you realize God's love for you, it naturally flows into love for others. Show me a person that doesn't love others. And I'll show you a person that doesn't understand God's love. Either they've never actually experienced it in salvation or they take it for granted. God's spirit has given us a spirit of love. Finally, it's given us a spirit of self-control, self-discipline. The believer is to thoughtfully use their gifts and abilities for God. We're to seek God's desires for our service and to work in them, not haphazardly, but governed by this word, faithfully, boldly proclaiming it because God has given us the power to do so. Love, sound mind. That's what it requires for a faithful church, a church that is willing to do hard things for God. The second thing I want to highlight as we consider Faithfulness to the word is found in chapter 2. Chapter 2, verse 2 tells us that a faithful church is marked by intentional discipleship in the word. He says this What you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. The effective church and the effective Christian disciples others. And this is an important concept for the Christian and the church to understand today. The call of the church, the call of the Christian is to make disciples of Jesus Christ. We're not called primarily to social change. That's a result of the gospel. We're not called primarily to poverty alleviation. In fact, Christ said, the poor you'll always have with you. But working towards that is a result of the gospel. We are called to make disciples of Christ. It means that this church is not for you to come and be entertained. It's not for you to come and have your felt needs fulfilled. The purpose is to make disciples of Jesus Christ. We're to share the gospel and teach obedience to the word. Well, what does this look like? And Paul informs Timothy that he is to entrust to faithful men the teaching he was received. He's to place into their care to deposit with them. We need to note that Timothy is to pass on this message. And as we examine Paul's message, we note that it's the message of the word. Paul was all about the word, He was faithful to the word of God. Paul did not water down the word. He didn't let people filter Jesus out of the word. He preached the word. He didn't cherry pick the word. He taught it faithfully. And now he's commanding Timothy to pass this word on to others. And so the mark of a of a faithful church is that they are, are shown to have word saturation through everything. When we worship together, we read the word, we pray the word, we sing the word, we preach the word, and we picture the word in the ordinances so that we can go out and live the word. And every other aspect of our church is word-centered. It has the word at its course so that the gospel can go forward. That's why we do what we do. The primary reason for the ineffectiveness of Christians today is that they've turned away from the word of God. They cling to the wonderful promises of the word, but they ignore the commands of the word. They refer to the word when it fits their narrative. The cast it aside, or, or worse, manipulate it when it doesn't fit. They display the word on Sunday, but Monday through Saturday, it's not to be found. Christian, we are called to be people of the word. It is to saturate every aspect of our life, from your family to your work, to your retirement, to your home, to what you eat. The word is to saturate everything. Second thing about this we need to notice is that it is others that it is to be entrusted to. He's commanding Timothy as a pastor to invest himself in certain people. Not that he's to ignore the others, but he's to invest himself into these people. Who were these people? They had two characteristics. First, they were faithful people. Now, this assumes that the individuals are believers, but the idea of faithfulness goes well beyond that. This emphasizes a trait that these individuals are trustworthy and dependable in remaining faithful to the accurate teaching of the word. In 1 Timothy, we learned that the church in Ephesus was chasing myths They were chasing endless genealogies. They were manipulating the word to fit what they already thought. They were arguing about unique and and uh, fanciful and fantastic interpretations of the Bible while ignoring the clear message of the word. And as such, they were unfaithful to the word of God. And by contrast, these faithful men were not neglecting, ignoring or falsifying the word, but instead accurately handling it. We need faithful men today. We need people in the church who will be committed to the word rather than forcing the word to fit what they think. Coming up with ideas and then going to the word to find where it says that. People who will open the word and allow it to inform what they should think. We need people who will study the word themselves. Not leaving the study to others. I, you know, I'm not a reader. I'm not educated. No, it's for everyone. Study the word. We need people who desire to grow and be conformed to the image of Christ. An effective Christian is a faithful Christian. And the church is ineffective because today the church is filled with unfaithful Christians. Individuals who are happy to call themselves Christians, but who have no desire for the word of God. And we must be known as a church of faithfulness. Now, we're not called for perfection. Perfection. Right. God understands we we won't have that till we get to heaven, but we are called to faithfulness, a commitment, a willingness to grow and change and a love for others. The second aspect is that they will be willing to teach others also. They'll be willing to pour themselves into other people to pass on what they've learned. You see, this is not a one way street. We're not to be the dead sea taking in and taking in and taking in and never distributing out. Rather, we're to take in and then pass it on to others. Whether it be conversations, getting together for lunch, calling on the phone, or whether it be more formal teaching exercises. We're to pass on what we've learned. The church and the Christian has lost its effectiveness because we've forgotten our purpose. See, the church is a social club but we're not a social club. We're not a political activists committee. It's not why we exist. We're not a psychology office. We're not a welfare organization. We're an embassy of the kingdom of God called to faithfully proclaim the truth of the word of God and to make disciples of Jesus Christ. And the amazing thing is this. When people surrender to the gospel of Christ, All those other things, they gain. They gain a family. They conform to the word in their political opinions. They find satisfaction and joy. They make the necessary changes in their lives to become positive members of society because they understand the gospel. So the answer is always the word. The third and and final aspect to the content of faithful ministry we want to look at, excuse me, the third and next to final one, it's found a little later in chapter 2, verses 14 and 15. It's marked by fidelity to the correct use of the word. Paul writes, remind them of these things and charge them before God not to quarrel about words which does no good, but only ruins the hearers. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. We see here that the pastor is to protect the flock of God from the attacks by Satan and the world. Ephesians 4 informs us that the pastor teacher is the gift to the church to equip it for ministry. And part of that equipping is providing the tools to protect from false teachings and foolish thinkings. And as we see in this text is done in two ways. First, it's done by reminding of God's promises. He says, remind them of these things. The pastors do consistently remind the church of God's promises and expectations. When we come to Christ in salvation, we are to die daily to ourselves so that we'll live to Christ. We're to endure sufferings that will reign with Christ. And we need to be warned that denying Christ reveals that we're not of Him. These promises and warnings sum up scripture itself so that The task is to faithfully proclaim and preach the word. He says, instruct them secondly, regarding false teaching. But how is this done? Well, it's not done through raging. It's not done through psychology. It's done through the word. Earlier in Later in chapter 3, we saw that these people were always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. How do you deal with them? Well, he tells us in verse 15. Study to show yourself approved to God, a workman that does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. The answer to the ills in this world is the word of truth. He says we need to be on guard against false teaching, protecting the flock. But how do we do this? Not through raging, not through social media posts and articles. The answer is the word. The answer is rightly dividing the word of truth. Why is it? That as a church, every Sunday, I get up here and talk a really long time about the Bible. Because I love to hear my voice. That may be true, but that's not why we do this. Why do we do this? Because this is the answer. But it is only the answer if we use it correctly for its purpose. you ever tried to hang a picture with a shoe? You can't find a hammer. So you got that little nail thing. You got to get it in the wall. So you take out a shoe or you take out a pair of pliers and you try and do it. You can kind of do it. It's not terribly effective. But when you use the right tool the right way, it's a whole lot easier. Take the hammer. And if you do it right, one little and it's in. Because you're using it rightly. Too often we treat this word like an encyclopedia. I've got an issue. I'm going to look up every verse on that issue. I'm struggling with pride. Every verse that says proud. Okay, I'm going to look at it. And that can be helpful. It can work. But it's not terribly effective. Sometimes we try to find the answers we want in it. I know there's something in here about this thing I'm really mad about. So I'm going to look for it. And then we start to shoehorn our opinions into narratives and into texts. And we make the Bible say what it's not saying at all. Instead, we need to rightly handle it. We take it verse by verse, text by text, book by book, looking at it. Looking at what it meant to the original hearers. Making the application to today. Because then the power of God in the word is unleashed. And so a faithful church is marked by fidelity to the correct use of the word of God. Not just willy-nilly using it. This is also why we do it expositorily, working through verse by verse, and not topically. Because that's how this Bible is unleashed with power, is seeing the way that it is used correctly. Finally, the final aspect, for real this time. The faithful ministry holds a commitment to the preaching of the word. We saw this a few weeks ago in chapter four. Beginning in verse one. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. your ministry the calling of the church, the calling of the preacher, is to preach the word. three Greek words: Kiruksan. tan, Lagan. Most preachers I know, myself included, write this at the very opening of their Bible. This is our charge. It's not to entertainment, it's not to plays, it's not to the arts, it's to preach. The word as the footsteps of the executioner draw ever closer. Paul does not challenge Timothy. Make sure you're entertaining the people. He doesn't challenge them to ensure that they have great outreach events. He says nothing about the music ministry of the church. Although each of those things are helpful. No, he challenges Timothy. Preach. We don't have the liberty to invent our message, but only to communicate the word God has spoken and has committed as the sacred trust to the church. We need to note that the pro- that to proclaim God's word involves all the themes of Scripture, not cherry picking some and ignoring others, or to preach the word. The word of God in its entirety is the material. Of our message. And we have a responsibility. You have a responsibility. To demand the preaching of the word. You ought to every Sunday say. We would see Jesus. Show us the word. We ought to loudly. Boldly. Proclaim it. In season. And out of season. When it's opportune. And when it's not opportune. See, God's word is always profitable. It's always in season. No matter what culture or marketing gurus or Christian celebrities say, the word of God is always the priority. Because there will be a time, and that time is now, when people will not want to hear it. They're marked by boredom, apathy, and annoyance at the word. They're pictured as more interested in something different and sensational than they are in the healthy preaching of the word, and they won't put up with it, so... They collect to themselves teachers that will tell them what they want to say. They find the preaching of the word boring and offensive and foolish. And when God's when healthy preaching of God's word is presented, they're not interested in the truth, but only in the way in which it's presented, whether it's presented with style or with charisma. And so they gather to themselves those men that will do that. They can't stand the truth because it can be hard and uncomfortable. So. God's redemptive truth, which demands the preaching of sin and damnation that deals with the necessity of interchange. They can't stomach it and so they reject it, but it comes at a high cost. You see, when God's truth is rejected, Satan's falsehood is inevitably embraced. In other words, deliberate rejection of God's word makes a person vulnerable to Satan's myths and so we are to stay level-headed and committed to the word As we've walked through second timothy it's not always been an easy path i don't know about you but as i've studied it i've been challenged in areas that i need to grow but i also hope that we've been encouraged in areas in which we are doing well I hope most of all, though, that we've seen the importance of the word in everything we do as a church. We must be word people. We must be committed to serve one another. We must be committed to disciple one another. We must demand the faithful presentation of the word. And we need to extend grace to one another when we fail. For these are all the marks of word people. And if we do these things. God will see this church as a faithful ministry and will use it for his glory. So let's fall in love with God's word together. Let's be committed to God's word. Let me conclude this study in 2 Timothy with three takeaways. Number one, be willing to serve God by serving your church. God uses ordinary people. God wants to use you. But you have to be willing. You have to set aside, the, set aside the excuses and all the reasons why you can't. And just do it. Number two, be committed to obedience to the word of God. We say we're word people. We say we love this, but that means that there are times where we're going to have to obey when we don't really want to. We're going to have to believe when we don't really believe. We're going to have to be committed to obey this word. Let it determine what we do and what we say and what we think. Not everything else. Finally, we need to seek to share with others what God is teaching us from his word. Seek to share with others what God is teaching you. It ought not be an unusual thing. When you get together for you to say to one another, what's God been teaching you this week? What'd you get out of God's word this week to say, hey, you know what? I was reading my Bible this week and this is what God taught me. What do you think? Am I right? Hey, I was struggling with this text. Not quite sure where it's going. What do you think? Let's talk about it. That ought not be unusual. We don't have a problem talking about the weather sports or toys or families, how much less should we have a problem talking about the greatest thing that has ever happened to us? The word of God. Seek to share this with other people. Share the word with others. What is God teaching you? Don't hold it in. Don't be the dead sea. Pour it out to others around you. If we're word-centered, if we as a church are committed to this, God will be committed to us to use us for his glory. And one day we'll be able to stand before him and hear him say, well done. That's our goal. That's our desire. Let's be word people. Thank you for sticking with me through this study in Second Timothy. I have loved it. I've loved this book. It is bittersweet leaving it. It's bitter because we have to leave it and I love it. But it's sweet because we get to go on to another amazing book. Next week, we're going to begin the book of Romans. It's long. Fair warning. We'll be there a while. But it has been called Paul's magnum opus. If I had any book, it's that old deserted island question. If you're stuck on a deserted island, which I'm not going out in the ocean, so there's no concern about that. But if I were... And I could only take one book of the Bible with me. It'd be Romans. So we're going to start it next week. And I hope that you will fall in love with it as much as I do. Encourage you to be here. We'll have some missionaries over the next few weeks as well, giving reports. So let's gather together around his word. Let's pray. Father, we thank you once again. That you have not left us without instruction to wander aimlessly. To foolishly proclaim our own opinions on everything. But you have instead given us the final authoritative word on everything we need for life and godliness. So, Lord, I ask that we would be committed to your word, that when we wander from it, that you would put into our lives and our path things that bring us back into line with it. That as a church, we would be committed to one another to share what we are learning from your word. To spur and motivate one another to love and good works. That it would not be unusual when our conversations are deep and theological in nature. That we would demand of one another growth. That we would encourage one another in our weaknesses. That we would not uh, demean or look down on one another. But that we would humbly understand that all of us are sinners and struggling, and that we would walk alongside one another to see each other grow in grace and in the knowledge of you, and that it would be known in our community that we are a Bible people who love and who live your word. Lord, that's our desire. We ask that that it would happen, and we thank you that you have given us your spirit to empower us to accomplish those things. In Jesus' name, amen.